Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive horror comedies. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and today it finally happened. We spun a chef's choice on the pod or on, on the Wheel of Spooks, and I got to pick whatever I wanted. And I decided on Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Uh, one of my favorite movies. I'm joined by our Ghostbusters correspondent, Derek Kubitschek. Derek, how are you doing? Uh, also New York correspondent. Which is why you're here. Which, yeah, if people don't know. I've been to New York once, and Ryan knows that I've been to New York once, so therefore I'm the New York correspondent. I accept this frustratingly, but happily. Hey, I think it's worked out pretty well for you. How many New York movies have you done? Uh, What was it? Uh, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes New York, because we're there for all of 10 minutes. Yep. Yeah. Takes Manhattan. Yeah, oh, yeah, it takes Manhattan. Sorry, I did. I don't remember the the subtext for that so movie. So if your two movies so far that you've had to cover with this job is... Friday 13th, 8, and Ghostbusters. I think you're doing okay. Yes, I, I am. And this is a fun movie, and I'm happy to be back. And yes, it's, Ghostbusters. It, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a while. And Ghostbusters is a movie I haven't seen in over a decade, but I remember it very fondly. And, of course, it's one of those movies that has generational staying power. Yes. Because our generation, like, Ryan, you and I, we weren't around yet. Yep. But I watched this when I was a little kid. But we revere this movie because our parents did. Yes. I think it's funny that people revere Ghostbusters so much because this movie's making fun of those people. This is a very cynical movie that makes fun of people who get like excited about franchises and and, and you know the franchise rights will make us filthy rich is something uh, Peter Bill Murray's character says. So this is a movie that makes fun of that. And in the sequels, I can't remember with Ghostbusters two, but definitely the remake and Afterlife, they really embrace kind of the nostalgia stuff a lot more like oh remember remember how great ghostbusters was and all these great things about it and you rewatch the first movie and like this is so cynical i love it but that's what makes the sequels not work for me which we we will get to um we're going to do all four ghostbusters movies and probably the tv show at some point which i've never seen the tv show oh boy um but you're on the hook for all this so that's why the the sequels don't really work for me so much is because they are so focused on nostalgia and how great the ghostbusters are Ghostbusters are a bunch of schlubs who accidentally saved the world, and they're making fun of you for liking that, which is great, but, you know, I don't know. The nostalgia stuff has never worked for me. It's kind of like building a shrine for Gandhi, and then it's like, Gandhi would have hated this. Yes, yeah, Yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a very very good analogy. Thank you. Yeah, the Ghostbusters are making fun of you for buying Ghostbusters t-shirts and Ghostbusters apparel and and stuff like that ghostbusters video games they're making fun of you for doing that and that's fine that's absolutely fine if you're okay with that but that's and you forget with the original ghostbusters how cynical this movie is uh which is why i love it so much it's a great movie i and i've seen uh one and two i have not seen the remake and i've not seen afterlife but one it, it definitely has that i don't know deadpan bill murray uh, dan Aykroyd sense of humor behind it and i don't think the second one had that as much yeah, so. I, I don't really remember the second one all that well. I've seen it once. It's very forgettable. I think it's the worst of the four. Uh, the second one, that might be a hot take. We'll get into that. But the point of this podcast is we're trying to create a master list of rules to survive any and all horror movies, which you're like, but you're covering Ghostbusters. I'll get to that in a second. Um, but we're going to be going through the plot of this movie beat by beat, decision by decision, to see if we need to add any new rules to our current list of 60 rules. And you can check that out on our Twitter account, at HowToHorror. That's how the number two horror uh, we'll see if we need to add any new rules to our list. So, spoiler alert for Ghostbusters. So, you're asking, uh, you're asking me, Ryan, you're covering Ghostbusters. This is this really a horror movie? No. It's not really a horror movie, but it has a horror story told in the style of a comedy. So, this is just like the scary movies when we covered uh, the five scary movies. No, these are not horror movies, but the story is a horror story, just told with a different tone. Well, and ask the characters in the movie if they were having a good time. Yes. Th- they weren't. You know, it, it, to us, it's a comedy. To theirs, it was a, a phantasmic rapture. Yes. So from their perspective, from the people whose decisions that we're analyzing on this podcast, this is absolutely a horror movie. Exactly. And, and there's no question about it. And, and I think that's true for all, for all four movies. And Afterlife even definitely has some more horror elements than any of the previous three. So, yeah, it might be... Is it a stretch? A little bit, but, you know, Scary Movie, I think, was more of a stretch. I mean, at least Scary Movie was called Scary Movie, but you know what? 
I like for Chef's Choice, you pick Ghostbusters, and I, I thought you were going to uh, throw a fishing hook onto your DVD shelf of horrible horrors and just pull one off of it, like Wolfman or something. That's kind of what I did. I, I random number selected uh, between 1 and 27, you know, one for each load of the alphabet, 27 for being a, a number. number, and it landed on G. So I picked a movie from the G section on my DVD collection. Derek can attest this is a large movie collection. Yeah, yes. It's several bookshelves yeah. that hold no books. So I didn't fully get rid of the random chance. I'm just like, I don't know what to pick. And I wanted to pick something either obscure or just something that wouldn't necessarily normally get picked. And I feel like we might have overlooked Ghostbusters just because it's not, you know, you say horror movie, you don't think of Ghostbusters. It's not, it's not classic horror. Yeah, it's more like a scary movie. Like I said, it's like a scary movie. Yep. So that's why Ghostbusters is here. It's Chef's Choice. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It's, it's catch of the day. <laughs> so for the Wheel of Spooks, Ghostbusters will be on the Chef's Choice spot until it's done, and then Chef's Choice will go back. Sweet like a Stay Puffed Marshmallow. So that is that is what's going on here. Derek, you ready to jump into Ghostbusters? Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's get into the plot of Ghostbusters. The movie begins at the New York Public Library. There's a librarian named Alice, and, you know, she's just going about her business down in, like, the storage area or whatever of the library. I don't really know how libraries work, what what this room is. What is a library? What is a library? But she notices all the index cards just go flying out of their drawers, and there's no rational explanation for why that would be happening. Alice, rule number one, you might meet a horror movie. Absolutely. Right away. She runs out of there, immediately runs into a ghost, and we cut to the main titles. And somehow, they're going to call the Ghostbusters before the Ghostbusters are even formed yet. This call is going to get to the Ghostbusters. But, you know, for Alice, she she got out. She ruled up and get out. She just ran out of this room as fast as she could. Get out! So, so far, uh, Alice doing as well as she could have assumed to have been done. Yes. So, Alice, Alice did a good job. She's basically out of the movie now. Um, we're going to see her one more time. But, yeah, she's pretty much done. Columbia University, we are introduced to Dr. Peter Venkman, who's both, I would say, the best and worst part of this movie. I think the funniest moments are his, and I think the only parts of this movie I don't like, which are some of his interactions with Dana, have not aged well. Kind of creepy. So I would say Bill Murray's the, both the best and worst part of this movie. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and his first moment where he's kind of teasing the dorky-looking guy and really catering to the... Uh, easy on the eyes, young gal the hot in, his, in, in his not very scientific study no. about ESP and then trying to use it to, you know, get her. Some of this stuff is funny. Some of it is gross. Yes. Some of it's both. Yes. Um, but it has not aged well. And it's why I only give the movie a nine out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. Yep, and, uh, you know, and it, we always have to put it in the context of time, but like 80s were different. 80s were different. But point being, if you're watching it in 2022 for the first time, you're going to be like, Ah, uh, why is this movie revered so much? Yeah, it, it, it is a, not, it's not great, uh, but Bill Murray is still very funny in this movie. Yes. So but he is a, a professor of like parapsychology, paranormal bullshit. And he knows it. He's, he knows it. He, he is almost like a con man. He's a grifter and he's doing like these tests to see if these two students are psychic. And there's this dorky guy and he, he keeps getting the wrong answers at first. So Thankman zaps him. And then he gets the right answer, and he zaps him anyway. Meanwhile, there's this hot co-ed. She's getting every answer wrong, and he's not zapping her, but he's telling her she's right, just so he can ask her out later, basically. Yeah, and then he sets it up as negative or positive reinforcement yep. as an effect on ESP abilities. Because, by the way, the guy does get one right. Yeah, the guy gets one right. Gets zapped anyway. Yep. So that's Peter Venkman. He is our main protagonist, and he is scummy. Yes. But mo- most of the time, it's, it's fun scummy. It's like comedy scummy. This scummy is fun. But Dr. Ray Stans come in, who's played by Dan Aykroyd, who helped write the script. It was him and uh, Harold Ramis who wrote the script, um, who's one of the other main Ghostbuster. Ray is a true believer of the group. He he's he is full on into this. He just believes in ghosts and he wants to find the proof. Very like Fox Mulder from X Files. He's gung ho about this and wants to find the truth. I love Ray. Ray is wonderful. He gives me Sean Astin energy, or rather, Sean Astin gives me Dan Aykroyd energy. He's just got like this sort of happy enthusiasm about him, where he's just like a kid in the Lego store, and he's yep. like, "I'm going to build the greatest thing ever." <laughs> yes. Or I'm I'm going to find the coolest kid ever. All of the Ghostbusters, the one I want to work with is Ray. The one I want to be friends with, I think, is Ray. Yeah. Because I, I I feel like he would also bring the fanciest meal to the uh, to the to the potluck. He's fun, and he's passionate about what he's doing. And he's a very nice guy. Yes. 
So Ray's coming with news of this call. Something's happened to the library, and there's been like 10 witnesses. So, okay, we got something. Yes, which is why they were contacted, because enough people saw it. They're like, okay, we need to find someone who's an expert, air quotes, on the paranormal. Right. And, oh, well, would you look at that? We got a paranormal department in Columbia University this is right in town. New York. Uh, so Bengman and Ray, they're going to go over to the library, and then we're going to meet the third Ghostbuster, Egon. Egon Spengler is played by Harold Ramis, who is just this kind of awkward antisocial nerd and is also the best. He's great. I love Harold Ramis in this role. Uh, Egon, Egon's awesome. He's the nerdy guy. He's the nerdy guy. And, that, and that's, his, that's his character. That is his character, and it's wonderful. He, 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 uh, he zaps things, and he knows stuff. Yes. He collects spores and funguses. Yes. <laughs> so they're going to go check out the library. They're, they're looking around. They find a bunch of ectoplasm, books stacked. But, you know, all of this could be fake. And I think that's kind of the mentality we have to go through in this first uh, first scene is we don't know ghosts exist yet. And we, neither do they. Neither do they. Which is why we can't say this is a clear break of rule yep. one. Just because you have 10 witnesses for the paranormal, I mean, re, you know, rewind 500 years and you can find dozens of witnesses for witchcraft. Exactly. There's still no proof yet. This is almost more like a Scooby-Doo thing than anything else. You know, when I was a kid, I was there was a, I went through a, like a ghost hunting phase. I had like books on it, and they're like, "Yeah, by the way, most of the time it's fake. There's no evidence for it, but you know, th- this is how you find the proof, or, or you can prove fraud." And that that's what I learned. So the, the ghost hunting books I had were actually more like, "Here's how you expose fraudsters," which was you know kind of like thinking back, like, "Huh, that's interesting. That's how those books were presented." Well, I mean, yeah, you have to. You have to present it as like, yeah, this is all mostly a grift, but you have to live for the one. Yep. You know, you're, you're, you are Ahab, and you are living for your white whale. Yes. Eventually, they are going to find the ghost, the library ghost. So they turn the corner, and there she is. Now, it could be a hologram. You know, Sco- Scooby-Doo tells me that's a hologram. <laughs> but these guys treat it as a horror movie, which is fair. Like, yeah. You see something. Your eyes are telling you there's something here. You see something, and it turns out there is actually yeah. a ghost. And, and it is visual corroboration of the accounts that you've already received. So now it's like, okay, cool. This isn't just necessarily smoke and mirrors, and if it is, they're very good. Treat it as real until you can prove otherwise at this point. Yeah, Rule number one, you're in a horror movie. Yeah, kind of like Fire Alarm. And, and kind of like Mystery Inc. Scooby-Doo. Yeah. You know, it's, and in the TV show, it was always a guy in a mask, but they treated it as real until they could prove it, which is the, it's the right move. Again, Mystery Inc. is generally not a role model. I want to remind everybody. Gen- generally not, because they always split up, yep. which we're going to do later in this movie, too. But that rule is a good one. So Vangman tries to speak to her, and she just shushes him, because I think it's the ghost of a librarian. So Ray's plan is, all right, guys, come with me. I got a plan. All right, hang on. Follow my commands. All right. All right. Get her. And then it just screams at them, and they run out of the building. Yeah, and it morphs into a hideous figure. But yes, they, they leave. They dip. So your plan was to tackle the ghost. Good, good going, Ray. I mean, this almost falls into Rule Thirty Two. Like how you know that it, it feels like a stupid game to me. Yes, I was thinking Rule Number Four. Don't be a menace. Just don't go tackling people for no reason. That's true. <laughs> like, what if it was a perfectly nice librarian ghost who just worships the Dewey Decimal System? That's another thing about ghosts. We got to talk about. It. Not all ghosts are malicious, right? You know, I remember in the book, some of them are just like repeating phantoms. They just they do something that they did when they were alive and just repeat the same thing. You know, you could be in a horror movie, but the ghosts might not necessarily be there to harm you. And we're going to see, besides the third act, none of the ghosts harm anybody. So, just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Assume that they can, but eventually you might be able to prove that. Like, I don't know, they just kind of pass through stuff. It's interesting, because we could turn this whole episode into the ethicality of ghost hunting in general. Now, maybe we don't go down that, because this movie, the whole premise is ghosts are a pest. To be exterminated. Yes. Um, You know, because the cockroach didn't do anything. The spider bro didn't do anything. But like, get out of my house. Yep, you're in my house. You're in my (laughs) library. Get out of my library. But it is a public library. It is owned by the government, and I'm sure that woman paid taxes. During the montage sequence, um, later on, we're going to see a bunch of like magazine covers, and one of them is like, you know, ethicality, do ghosts have rights? Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, But right now, they don't. So... Ghostbusters are here to uh, kick you out. We, we have the privatized uh, comedy military here yes. to forcibly remove your spectral form from wherever you make birth. So, debating the ghost ethics or not, I generally I would say unless it's doing unless it's causing problems, don't worry about it. I mean, maybe call the Ghostbusters, but yeah. if it's just you, yeah. probably just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From what I've learned from like other movies, is if you like start messing with the ghost, that's when the problems 
uh, start to occur. So if you can live with it, just live with it. Yep. But you can't then, you know, escalate, obviously. Or or just leave. Or just leave. Rule yeah. 11 is get out. And we've talked about this in, with other paranormal movies before. Is it the place that's haunted? Mm-hmm. Or is it you that's haunted? Or is it an item that's haunted? And these ghosts don't seem to be tied to any specific person. These are very, like, location-based. Yep. So generally in the universe of Ghostbusters, if you just, like, leave geographically... You'll be fine. Yes, that's that, that is that is what I think every single ghost that we study, and we only study like three ghosts in this movie. Um, that is true for all three: uh, Library, Slimer, and then Gozer. Yeah. <laughs> so Eon thinks with the science and data he has gotten, he thinks he can now build something to capture a ghost, which is great because, um, yeah, they're all going to get fired from the university for Stonehenge magic bullshit. It's like none of you guys are real scientists. Get the fuck out of here. The timing is great. Yes. It, it's it's fate. Yes. And, and that's what Venkman is going to say, though. I think he's doing it to manipulate Ray. He's like, I think fate has decided we should open a business together. Make money for ourselves. Welcome to the private sector. They expect results. <laughs> and so uh, Venkman convinces Ray to put his house up for mortgage, triple mortgage, and to, to finance their, their this, this new venture. They're going to start their own business, the Ghostbusters. You know, I'm a banker yes. by trade right now. And this has got nothing to do with a horror movie, but you can find yourself in a financial horror story <laughs> by putting your home up for mortgage to purchase New York real estate to open a ghost-busting business. So, I mean, I'm not allowed to give anyone financial advice, but maybe talk to your CPA before putting uh, your house up as collateral for, uh, you know, I guess, like, angel funds to open a ghost-busting business. I, I, I cannot recommend this. This feels like a play a stupid game, win a stupid prize, yep. and it is bankruptcy. And also, don't just buy a building because it has a fireman's pool. No, no, no. You can do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to find an old fire station that should be condemned, basically, according to Egon, and they're going to buy it because Ray is very excited about the fireman's pool. You know, you got to find something. We bought our house because it had a pencil sharpener. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. That's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So then we're introduced to Dana Barrett, who's played by Sigourney Weaver. She is a, I think, violinist in in an orchestra, talented musician. She lives in a nice apartment building. Also, her neighbor, Lewis, lives in this building, played by uh, Rick Moranis. And Lewis is annoying, is I think the word we can describe him. He's just annoying. A little creepy. He's a a slink. He's He's always there. I think he means well, but he is just unintentionally creepy like he would be your textbook 2022 nice guy yes but even when he he finds out that uh, dana is dating someone else or going on a date he gets over pretty quickly and just like invites her to party so i think more more than anything he just wants to be friends with people he's friendly but annoying (laughs) i invited all of my clients so that i could write it off as a business expense you know Otherwise, I would have invited my friends. Yeah. yeah you, you don't have any friends. You don't have any friends, Lewis. But that that's great. Uh, they're both awesome. Dana's pretty no-nonsense, I guess I would describe her. Mm-hmm. Um, very capable, capable. Very intelligent. Very intelligent. She's like the rational person mm-hmm. in this cast of everybody. More than anybody else, I would say. Yes. So she's going to get home. There's a commercial on for the Ghostbusters. Uh, ridiculous. Don't who, know where they got this marketing fund, but... Who needs Ghostbusters? That's ridiculous. Oh, wait. Her, she she just came back from grocery shopping, and the eggs on her counter start bursting and frying themselves on her countertop. Then she hears a growling noise from her fridge, which, to be fair, just could be her fridge. Yeah, I mean, I think they used Freon in the fridges back then, so, you know, maybe maybe it growled. I don't know. And, you know, maybe the dishwasher was underneath the eggs, and it was just making the countertop really hot. Assuming all of these things are not true, though... And it's not a Samsung fridge, which they just make weird noises anyway. Friends don't let friends buy Samsung appliances. You might be in a horror movie. Might be. And let's confirm this by opening the fridge and we see a weird-ass building off in the distance. No Coca-Cola, where the Coca-Cola is supposed to be. <laughs> and then Zool, who is a demi-dog, you know, demigod dog, so a demi-dog. Yeah. Pops its head up and goes, Zool. I love that moment. It's just like, what is happening? Zool is a Pokemon. Zool's basically a Pokemon. So you got dog demons in your fridge along with ancient temples. Dana, rule number one, you were in a horror movie. Either you need significant help or you're in a horror movie. Either way, this or is... Or both. Or, or both. I mean, that is a different kind of horror yep. movie, right? We as the audience know that it's a real horror movie. From Sigourney Weaver's perspective, I think it's like, okay, I'm going to call the Ghostbusters. Well, to be fair... 
she's we're gonna cut to two days later she's just gonna leave her apartment she's gonna get out and not go home for two days as she figures out what to do fair do you want to be just like instantly call the ghostbusters i don't know if i want to be like the first person to be like yeah i need the ghostbusters i you know i might take a little time like what do i do what do I do? Well, and, and it sounds like she did exactly that. Like, yep. you know, she she slept on it for two nights. Yep. And eventually landed on Ghostbusters because she's like, I don't know. Yeah. Rule 12, wait for backup, even though this isn't necessarily the backup you want. But And, and we can say also Rule 11, get out. Because yep. she did. She got out. She absolutely did. So Dana did everything right. Meanwhile, Ray gets the famous car. He buys the old hearse and they turn it into the, the what is it, the Ectomobile or something? Ecto-1. They hire Janine as the receptionist. And a quick story about Janine. I love Janine. She is played by Annie Potts. I Want to hear my Annie Potts story? Oh, of course. So when I worked at Warner Brothers, I worked on the show Young Sheldon a couple of times. And Annie Potts is one of the stars on that show. And one day, I was just getting lunch. They had, like, uh, craft services was set up. So we were all in line. Everyone was in line getting food. And a golf cart pulls up, and here's Annie Potts. And I'm like, oh, well, I better let her go in front of me. She's like the talent. It's a big deal. And I'm like, oh, you could step in front of me. And she's like, oh, absolutely not. And she gets the line right behind me. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so we get through line. And, you know, I don't, I, I try not to, you know, one of the rules was don't really talk to the talent unless they talk to you. Then go, go right ahead. But, you know, some of them don't want to talk. That's fine. But we get up to the food and they don't have, normally they have everything labeled. What is, what is everything? They have nothing labeled today. So Annie Potts and I are like trying to guess what everything is. We're like, what do you think this is? I don't know. Is it salmon? Might be salmon. So we were trying, going through the lunch line trying to figure out what everything was. It was really fun. That's a really fun moment. Yeah. And I remember you telling me about a celebrity one time who refused to step in front of you while you were at like the luncheon spot on the Warner Brothers lot. Yep. But I didn't know it was Annie Potts. Annie and I Potts. did not know she was in this movie. Yes. So uh, I think I think out of all the celebrities I've ever met, I think Annie Potts might be my favorite. I, like, I think I have the best, best interaction with Annie Potts. That's a very... Very genuine human moment yeah. with someone who might seem larger than life to yep. people who don't see celebrities often. And what's funny, I didn't even know she was on Young Sheldon. I was just like, oh, Annie Potts is here. Maybe she's guest starring. Oh, she's a lead on that show. Is she? Who yep. is she? I think she's grandma. Oh. Sheldon's grandma. All right. So, uh, yeah, so that's my Annie Potts story. I love Annie Potts. I always have a great fondness for Annie Potts. Big fan of the podcast. Annie Ryan loves you. <laughs> so Annie Potts is the receptionist, and she's kind of like... Tell it how it is. No nonsense. She's got one of the best lines in the mo- movie. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> Ghostbusters. And she's got a crush on Egon, which is just wonderful. So at this point, this is when Dana shows up to, she's like, hey, I, I got a case for you. And when I think of Ghostbusters, this is one of the scenes I always think of. It's the schlubbiest thing I can imagine. Like if I looked up the word schlubby in the dictionary, it would be Ray working on the Ecto-1 with a cigarette in his mouth and just looking up as Dana walks. I'm like, that is schlubby. It is the schlubbiest thing that's ever schlubbed. It does like have that, you know, you're walking into the old mechanics workshop with a problem with your car and you have no idea who to talk to or what's going to go on. And they're like, why are you here? You're not one of my regulars. <laughs> just the cigarette just makes it. But Dana talks to Venkman and it's like and, and all the Ghostbusters and they're talking uh, about the case, what is going on, investigation. She is their first customer. So the plan is Ray is going to investigate like the architecture of the building. Egon is going to dig into the word Zool, if it's a name, like, what what is it? And Venkman is going to go with Dana to investigate her apartment. He also has a crush on her instantly, or has the hots for her instantly. So, you know, that's the other reason he wants to go to the apartment. He's a bit of a perv. Yes, 100%. So Dana and Venkman, they go to the building, and everything's fine. Kitchen's fine. I mean, the eggs are still there, but everything else is fine. There's nothing in the fridge besides... Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah, there's no interdimensional travel here, no. or no interdimensional gateway to be found. And they, they did give her a lie detector test, and she believes she was telling the truth, is how Eon puts it. Okay. So she's crazy. Cool. Oh, wonderful. Poor Dana. <laughs> um, and then he just starts to hit on her, and so she just kicks him out. You know, and, and I actually, I had a thought, because it, we were just talking about, you know, you feel like you're walking into an old car, you know, uh, like a mechanic shop, you know, and you've got a problem with your car. Anyone who's brought their car to a mechanic and said that they have a problem and they notice something and they go for a short ride with the mechanic, the vehicle does not have the problem. It is very common to give your car to the mechanic and say, drive it around for a week until you hear what I'm talking about. I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Dana should have said, like, I'm not going to stay here. I want you to sleep in my apartment for a week, for, for two weeks 
until you see what I see, sure. until you experience what I experience, because they're the professionals. You know you're not crazy, and they at least know that you're not lying, so you're not trying to deceive anyone. Um, so if they are serious about their job as Ghostbusters, I'm thinking they should have taken her apartment for a test drive sure. for, for several weeks, and she should have put up in the hotel that they cleared the poltergeist from. That's what they do in the Conjuring movies. Interesting. The the two, uh, the Warrens, uh, they go live with the family and observe and, and help in any way they can. Yes. So that's what they do in the Conjuring movies, which, in my opinion, are the best parts of the Conjuring movies is watching these characters interact. Sure. It's very wholesome. So, you know, maybe that was a creative solution, um, but I also understand that this stuff is a little iffy where, like, she yeah. thinks that she's crazy, but, you know... For those of you who are absolutely sure that you saw the Pokemon Zool, let let the mechanics take your apartment for a test sure, drive. Sure, sure, that's a good that's a very good idea, Derek. Meanwhile, the Ghostbusters they get another case. Business is going to start picking up here. They get called out to a very high class hotel. We meet the manager, who's played by Michael Ensign, who's actually in Children of the Corn Three as the priest of the school in Children of the Corn Three. What? Yep. Your favorite movie, Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. That is far from the worst one. Oh, I know. That's I, why I said it. I think that might be my favorite one of the, the, of the many, of the uh, ten. Yeah, because it was talking about, what, like, grain and uh, corn yeah. and, and stuff like that. And um, Yeah, it was a commodities commodi- trading. Commodities trading. And you yeah. were just like, I, I was not expecting a commodities trading <laughs> horror movie, and you got very excited about it. it. It was just really, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But yeah, I would have never put that together. Yep. Um, so, yep, Michael Ensign. So they, they get sent up to search the hotel for this ghost. And they eventually find him um, after they split up. couple of things here. First off, obviously don't split up. Let's split up and look for clues. It's it's not going to be as big a deal in the Ghostbusters universe because ghosts aren't dangerous. They, they really can't do much to you. Uh, but, you know, rule number 19, they don't know that yet. Rule number 19, don't split up, gang. But more importantly, they have... These proton packs, which are unlicensed nuclear accelerators on their backs, they haven't fully tested. They talk about how they haven't fully tested them yet. This is their field test. Rule number three, do your damn job, but don't die in the process. Like, all that's bad. And, I mean, trigger discipline, we don't usually have to talk about it on this podcast, but they almost shoot one of the one of the maids. Don't panic, rule 10. Yeah, don't... He, Spangler and Stance, yeah, they, they panic hardcore. Oh, yeah, they almost shoot the maid with their proton pack accelerators. And it burns everything. Crap so like, on fire. It's like, the weapons work. Congratulations. You should have done your job earlier. Yeah, like, oh, successful field test. Great. Good job, guys. So they get a split up. Ray's going to chase the, the ghost around, which is Slimer, the famous green ghost. It's going to slime Venkman. He's fine. He just gets a bunch of slime all over him. And... He kind of panics a little bit, too. He just stands there and screams. And he never takes the shot. Rule number 17, never give up the next thing you try might work. Rule number 22, take the shot. Yes. He does literally nothing. Now, it didn't do anything, but he didn't know that. Yeah, he didn't know that. So he gets lucky. But they're going to figure out pretty quickly these ghosts can't really do much. They're just pests. Yep. So they eventually have a big battle in the ballroom, which just causes mass destruction everywhere. But eventually... Well, at first, I guess Egon is like, hey, by the way, don't cross the streams on the proton packs. It could destroy the entire universe. Really? <laughs> Chekhov's proton accelerator streams. Remember Fort Hope you Menace? Don't build this. <laughs> and test it out. And maybe have, like, a safety briefings ahead of time. This, this company is so poorly managed. I mean... Why wouldn't it be poorly managed? That's the whole plot of the oh, movie. Yeah. Is if we did, if, you know, if we didn't do these things, we wouldn't have a movie, uh, right? But still, still, we are not business consultants here. That that is not what we do. No, but if we were, but if we were, <laughs> I would say this. We would say if the weapons can destroy space time and rip the the fabric of space time apart, you probably probably just leave the ghosts alone. Yes, they end up trapping Slimer, and then they charge the hotel five thousand dollars, which is a discounted rate. Uh, the manager refuses to pay it, and they're like, oh, that's fine, we'll just re-release it. And he's like, no, 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 okay, fine. <laughs> so that's the the best part of this is, you know, they charge insane prices, and they can do it because they're basically holding you hostage. It's like, well, I mean, we don't have to do anything. That's fine. I wonder if they can take out liens on this kind of work. Yeah. And I, I know that's not your area of expertise, but like, can you get a mechanics lien on poltergeist removal? Probably not. But maybe in the Ghostbusters world, they should. Maybe in the Ghostbusters, because basically it's like a car. You know, if you put in a windshield and they don't pay you, you can take the windshield back. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's the same principle. <laughs> so the Ghostbusters, they're, they're going to be famous now. This whole montage sequence of them successfully capturing a bunch of ghosts, they become celebrities. And I think at this point, we could safely say regular ghosts are not dangerous. 
And we can safely say the Ghostbusters have realized it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that they don't really talk about immediately during the montage sequence is why there are so many ghosts yeah. and why the activity seems to be picking up. But at the end of the montage, we're going to start to get into that. Yeah. Someone suggests the Ghostbusters are responsible for it, but that's not the case. Uh, very much a business, uh, you know, right people at the right time in the right place, right? Yes, very much so. Which I think is part of the plot of Ghostbusters 2 is all the ghost activity goes down. Yes. So I, I think that's right with Ghostbusters 2. But don't quote me on that. I'm no Ghostbusters 2 expert. <laughs> a few are. <laughs> so they get super busy today that they hire a fourth Ghostbuster. Enter Winston Zeddemore, who is basically just your average Joe, working man, blue collar, looking for a job. During the interview, they ask him if he believes in, like, ghosts, Loch Ness, monster, aliens, all this BS. And he's like, hey, if there's a steady paycheck, I'll believe anything you want. That's the attitude. Yep. And he's kind of like the audience surrogate, I would say. He's like, you know, they have to explain stuff to him because he's new. And that, that way they can explain things to us. Yeah, the the exposition gate. Yeah. He doesn't get much to do in this movie, but he's got a couple of really great lines. Yes. But he's mostly just kind of there. I can see why Lucas did not want to be him in Stranger Things. Yeah, nobody wants to be the fourth Ghostbuster. So Venkman, he goes to visit Dana with a little bit of an update, also to hit on her. But basically, Zool is an ancient demidog. Demidog, I said it again. Demigod. <laughs> demigod. And a minion of Gozer, who's like an ancient Sumerian god. The Gozer the Destroyer. And Dana's like, well, what, what's he doing in my fridge? <laughs> These are the questions. <laughs> Fair questions. But Venkman, again, uses the opportunity to ask Dana out on a date. And... This time, the charm seems to work on her, and she agrees to it. Because earlier he had said, I am the working man, and I can make a success of this. And he has since done yeah, that. Yeah, he's now famous. And she's like, well, you're a celebrity now, so. So he's got some credibility to his name. Got some cred, and you're not completely insane. Ray shows Winston the storage unit where they keep all the ghosts. And at this time, uh, EPA agent Walter Peck arrives, who's played by William Atherton, who is just excellent at playing a, hu a huge dick. Walter Peck. Uh, William Atherton, famous for Die Hard, Die Hard 1 and 2, also in an episode of Lost. Just a huge, huge dick. Wait, is he the prick cop in Die Hard 1 and 2? No, he's the news reporter. He's an, okay, okay. Yep, he's the a-hole news reporter in Die Hard 1 and 2. Now, he does look like a walking roll of red tape. Yes. He, like, he is a, he's an obstacle. He's so punchable. Like, his smug look, he, whenever he's talking, he's so good at playing a guy you just want to punch. It's really good work. Yeah, it's um kind of like Venkman's foil, I guess, yes. in this movie, but just like a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, because, you know, Venkman kind of stands for, one, uh, the supernatural, privatized capitalism, yep. and then this guy is like environmental protections, government regulation, yep. and he's very suspicious, very suspect, skeptical. Yes. And, you know... This can be read as a very right-wing economic movie. Yes. Can be. I recently saw a video... Uh, of this guy claiming that The Incredibles is very Ayn Randian because it's saying like, well, you know, people celebrate mediocrity all the time. They don't actually let exceptional people be exceptional. Sure. And I'm like, okay, this bothers me though because the whole point of the movie is that because Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, has that mindset, like 30 of his friends die yep. because he thought he was better than everyone else and Syndrome proves him wrong. Yep. Buddy Pine proves that non-supers can be just as good. Yep. And so I'm sitting here watching this movie, and this video is top of mind in my head, and I'm like, this could also be considered a Randian-style film sure. because you've got a few exceptional people who are having this government official standing in the way of them trying to build something amazing because nobody else can do it, and they're the government, so they're going to stamp it out because they can. Yep. And I'm like... No, this is a Ghostbusters movie, and I just got really angry. It just felt like someone overanalyzing something. I, I think both are true, um, because I know the director is a libertarian. The director of Ghostbusters? Yes. Uh, Ivan Reitman, I believe, is the director. So I, I, I do think that was intentional. So, you know, do that information what you will. Do it do with it what you will, but I don't think having the government play some kind of thing for people to be overcoming in a very unique situation is all that uncommon we see that in yep. real life all the time there's a reason that people think the way they do about the government but i think that there is a sweet spot in between the rugged individualism of your iron rands and your like totalitarianism authoritarianism communism of basically any powerful government regime and to his credit walter peck has some very good points yes he does because nothing is registered nothing has been regulated they haven't like been able to show what they've been doing they've been keeping everything really secret hush hush and the government is like okay what are you doing? Can you back any of this up? I feel like we should be involved in some capacity, and honestly, they probably should be. Does Walter Peck do a great job at presenting these points? No, absolutely not. 
um, which is rule number nine. Be careful what you say and how you say it. And Venkman is not open to this idea nope. either. Because he, he's like, will you at least show me the containment yep. unit? And Venkman's like, nah, show up with a court order. So, like, he's within his rights of, you know, as designated by the state of New York, Constitution, whatever, all you, all whatever, you can't come in. And the guy's like, fine, but when I come back, I'm not going to be very happy. Very, like, I am a good cop, I'm going to be a bad cop. But there's a little subtle thing. They talk about that the fact that Venkman is a doctor. He's got two doctorates. One is parapsychology, whatever. The other one is psychology. Okay, literate doctorate, which is not taken as seriously in the 80s, which is something that doesn't translate as well. So uh, Peck does not take it seriously and calls him Mr. Venkman the whole time, even though Dr. Venkman is a yes. subtle thing. So neither of them treat each other very well. Classic New Yorkers. Uh, be a little nice to each other and guess what? Maybe this whole thing could have been avoided. <laughs> a little... A little communication goes a long way, but it does, again, go to show that they are the foil to each other yes. in this story, even if uh, this EPA guy has a very small role in the story. Yep. So that's uh, that's that's Peck. That was uh, a fun aside. Thank you for that conversation. You're welcome. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So this leads, this is part, like, part one of the worst, worst movie of the movie. It's this, and then when Peck comes back, and they just shut everything down. So this is part A of the worst movie of the movie. Um, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. So Egon mentions the fact that paranormal activity is spiking, so he thinks something big is on the horizon. This is where we get the famous Twinkie scene. Tell him about the Twinkie, where he like shows, hey, a normal Twinkie is the normal paranormal activity level in New York. And picture like a 35-foot tall, like 1,000-pound Twinkie. That's what it is today. That's a big Twinkie. <laughs> that is, in fact, a big Twinkie. All right, so Lewis is having a party, and he, he's invited Dana. Dana says, oh, you know, maybe, probably not. Probably not. But she goes into her, her apartment. There's a weird light coming from her kitchen. She's sitting in her easy chair at this point. And she's like, oh, no. There's something literally coming through the door, Freddy Krueger style, which they came out the same year, 1984, which is kind of funny. She's like, oh, horror movie's back. Uh-oh. Before she could do anything, a bunch of, like, monster hands come out of the chair, grab her, hold her down, and drag her into the kitchen. It felt poltergeist yeah. to me a little bit. Nothing she could have done. No, absolutely not. absolutely screwed. The only thing she could have done is not have been in the apartment. But again, she didn't know if she was crazy or not. And it's been weeks since anything has happened. Did she hallucinate it once? Like, what do you do? I move out maybe, but it happened once. You know, the big thing is the fried eggs. Because, yep. like, the, the, the other dimension in the fridge, yeah. But I would not be able to explain the fried yeah. eggs. I mean, I guess you could have, like, I guess blacked out. And fried them and then poured them all over the counter. Yeah, maybe carbon monoxide. Maybe just, like, messed with your head. That's a thing. So, you know, there there are ways around it. I, and this is me figuring this out live. Yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, I don't want to really count this as a big no. rule break. It's, it's, it's tough. And she is going to get possessed by uh, the demidog, Zool. Yeah. At this point. So we're not going to see... I mean, we're going to see Sigourney Weaver, but Dana is out of the movie for a while, good yes. long while until the very end. Meanwhile, <laughs> over at Lewis's party, another... Demi-dog. This one is Vince Clortho. I'm just going to call him Vince. Vince is hiding in Lewis's closet for some reason. So in the Lewis tosses a coat on him, and Vince just goes ape shit at this party. And I think the best part is Lewis is like, nope. He just leaves his apartment, abandons all of his guests, sprints all the way out of his bed. And these are his clients. This is his entire livelihood, and he just dips out. But you know what? For your life, no one to cut ties. That's rule nope. five, uh, 35. Yep. Uh, rule 11, he got out. Yep. You know, he ran, bitch, ran. Yep, 28. Run, bitch, run! Uh, so, I mean, so far, good job. All the way down to Central Park, he's gay, he's doing great. You know, cardio, man. Exercise. Like, he ran the whole yeah, way. Yeah, the first time we meet him, he was just finishing a workout. Yeah, so exercise. Yeah, that is rule number 49. So he makes it all the way to a restaurant that's in Central Park, I think. And it's a glass restaurant, so he's, like, banging on the windows. He tries the door. It's locked. And then he he ruins it. He was having such a great run. He just kind of freezes up. He panics. He gives up, basically, and just tries talking to Vince Clortho. It's like, hey, I might have a milk bone in my pocket. You know, rule 17 for that. Yep. It doesn't always work, but it might. So he gets some credit. He definitely panics. Yep. But honestly, he ran a long way. He was tired. But he's so close to a... <laughs> there's got to be a door that isn't locked. He tried, like, the back door. Try the front door. And I, I th this is pure headcanon for me. But uh, Vins did not take any of the people that were at the party. Yes. Who would have been much easier to possess at that point. So I'm wondering if because uh, Rick Moranis... I can't think of his character's name. Uh, uh, Lewis. Lewis lives in the building, that yeah. he has some kind of energy about him where it was like, okay, it's going to be Sir Gurney Weaver, it's going to be Dana, and it's going to be Lewis. Yep. 
So the dog was going to track him down. Even, even if they're not haunted, it just seemed like they were targeted. Sure, it uh, does. So I don't know. Then maybe there was nothing. I think he did as much as he reasonably could have been expected to do. I think uh, he could have gotten in the restaurant. Maybe from there, nothing. But the fact that he stopped and just kind of hangs out at the wall. Is, well, the door was locked. He tried to go in. But he kept, kept going. He went <laughs> back and then just kind of stopped and banged on the window. You're, you're right. There, there was more to there be done. There was more to be done here. But, uh, you know, he still got 95% yes. on this escape test. So he ends up getting possessed by Vince Clortho. So Venkman goes over to see Dana, and he gets up there. She's acting really weird. She's calling herself the gatekeeper. She's like, are you the key master? No. Slams the door in his face. Knocks again. Are you the key master? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He figures out really quickly that she's possessed. This is the doctorate in psychology and parapsychology. Honestly, he kind of (laughs) uses... Both. <laughs> he uses both. First, first, you know, he knocks on the door. It's the doctor of psychology. Then he gets the door slammed on. He's like, okay, we're bringing out the parapsychologist now. And she's going, oh, there's no Dana, only Zool talking in demonic voice. Starts levitating. Venkman, you're in a real horror movie now. <laughs> like, everything the Ghostbusters have gone through, it's almost like, okay, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just like ghosts. They're just like cockroaches. That's not a horror movie anymore. Okay, now we're back. Now we're fighting mega cockroaches, p- potentially. Yeah, it, it's different, and it's also difficult because everything that Venkman has seen has kind of told him that ghosts are mostly harmless. So he would have needed to recognize pretty quickly that this is different. He's never seen a possession yep. before, so this is new territory. And I mean, it's going to prove okay for him in in the short term, but your gear's got to be spinning. Oh, yeah. And, and he does call for backup. Uh, eventually. Eventually. Before we get to that, <laughs> Vin's now in the body of Louis Tully. He's running around looking for Zool. Talking to horses. Talking to horses. He gets picked up by the cops, and they drop him off at the Ghostbusters. And, and uh, uh, Egon very quickly scans him. He's like, yeah, I don't think this guy is human. <laughs> Uh-oh. We got a problem. So I think Egon quickly realizes this is not good. We are in a serious horror movie situation. Yes. We're at least in a different kind of movie. Yes, exactly. So he's, like, talking to Vince. Vince starts talking about Gozer, which connects back to Zool and Dana's apartment. This is where they get the call from Venkman, and they, like, connect the dots. Like, <laughs> Venkman's like, oh, we got to get these two together. Egon's like, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I got the gatekeeper. You got the key master. Let's get them together. That, that's a bad plan. It's <laughs> a bad plan. I've seen this before. Yep. Peck returns with a bunch of cops on a court order, and they are going to shut down the storage unit because they think it's nothing. So maybe run some tests first. Maybe get a court order to examine some stuff before you just start turning shit off willy-nilly. Maybe, I don't know, run an experiment. See what it is. No, Peck, I think, is... is he, he needs to put his ego aside. He got insulted by Venkman, so he's going to get real pissy about it. That is rule number. 31? 31, put your ego aside. You know the numbers better than me. Um, and he's just getting all pissy and force like, the, the city engineer to shut down the storage unit. Right. And so, you know, you got to put your ego aside. This also falls under rule three because his job isn't to go in and shut everything down immediately. The job is to go in and see if anything needs to be shut down. And if it needs to be, then shut it down. He just walked in and skipped straight to the end. Yep. Now, they were in violation of several federal regulations. Okay. But like the fact that he jumps from A to Z so quickly is not good. Inspect before you do anything stupid. Yeah, and maybe wait for an explanation. And honestly, this stuff is red taped so much, it's interesting that he was able to skip to the end on it. Play Stupid Games wins Stupid Prizes, Rule yep. 32. And this did start with a very poor exchange between him and Venkman, yep. who I think we can both agree in 2022 were both in the wrong. Yes, like, I, that, think, that was I think a, we're both wrong. That was a horrible, horrible exchange. And if, in fact, this movie is very Randian and its criticism of government's role in privatized industry... It's almost like they missed the joke where they were being dickheads, too. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the question I have about this movie. Are we supposed to like Venkman 100% of the time? And I would be, I mean, I would say for sure that I do not. Yes. So if you do like Venkman 100% of the time, you might be a libertarian, Possibly. I guess. So th- that is the big question I have about this movie. What is the intention of Ivan Reitman and like, the writing of the script? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. And how much is Bill Murray improv? Yeah, how much is Bill Murray improv? A lot of it. Still a great movie, interesting, and, and, and these aren't necessarily criticisms. It's just like almost it's just it's just interesting stuff. Um, it's, it's things to observe. Yep. You know, because we have a different lens, yep. and we have we have hindsight. And honestly, we I, I would like to think that we're adding a little bit of an educational flair to this. Sure. Yeah. 
there's a lot more going on than so, just a silly ghost hunting movie. So although, you know, EPA guy walks in and shuts everything down, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what led us here? Yep. And it was a really, really bad exchange where Venkman was being way less than helpful. Yes. And we also have to remember that the EPA guy thinks that they're just, like, con men. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're just stealing thousands of dollars from unsuspecting victims and then claiming to stuff ghosts in an electrical box that's wired up in their basement of a building that should be condemned. Like, yeah, you know, you should let, you know, let people be for the most part, but if they're in violation of these regulations and they're claiming to be capturing ghosts, I mean, I mean... If someone said that to you, you'd be like, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit. And by the way, they're not helping you to figure out whether or not it's yep. the truth. Like, they could have, like, brought him on one trip. Yeah. Mr. EPA guy, we would like for you to join us on one of our expeditions. Rule four, don't be a menace. Yes. For everyone. For everyone, basically. Mostly Venkman and Peck. I, I'll say Venkman because Egon and Stance didn't ever yeah. interact with this guy. And I'm sure Stance would have been like, do you want to come along? Yeah. Want to come for a trip? Oh, yep. we, they, we, they we love friends. Right along. Yeah. So we'll say Venkman and, and Peck on this yes, one. Yes, 100%. So this is going to cause basically almost an explosion. The ghosts are all going to escape back into New York and cause havoc. Vince escapes in the chaos. And this is the the sign, yep. the the prophesized sign for the gatekeeper and the keymaster. Yes. I mean, Peck, he gets so mad, he orders all the Ghostbusters to be arrested. And Egon has had enough and punches Peck. <laughs> and they get arrested. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That'll, Disorderly conduct. Disorderly conduct. Love it. So in jail, the Ghostbusters are all examining the blueprints. And all these other, like, prisoners are just, like, like surrounded around them like they're part of the plan. But they're just like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? It's hilarious. <laughs> Basically... They have figured out this building is actually a giant antenna, basically, to call in spirit, uh, spiritual supernatural activity. It was built by a guy who was a Gozer worshiper, who built it specifically for this purpose to end the world. I did not think we were going to be mentioning this rule today, but 36. Cults are bad. Okay. Yeah. Cults are very bad. So, uh, yeah, that, that's where we're at. They used to do uh, r- rituals on the roof of the building. Not great. So at this point, Vince makes it to the roof, meets up with Zool. They bang. <laughs> Which, again, not something that would happen in a 2022 version of Ghostbusters. It felt a little icky for me. Yep. These two people are possessed. Yep. So, like, you know, it, it, it's non-consensual, but neither was the demonic possession. And honestly, like, both of those are, I guess assault in their own right. Yep. But it just it felt like it crossed the line, at least for me, a little bit. Yep. It, it's icky. It's, it's, yeah, not great, but they're going to go up to the roof. Yep. At this point, there's so much chaos happening in New York that the mayor calls in the Ghostbusters, and Peck is there as well. So there's a big meeting, all the city officials, like the, the bishop, fire department, city engineer, everybody's here, and the Ghostbusters. And basically, Peck, you know, is, is accusing them of gassing the city, and he just sounds like a, a crackpot at this point, because he's not, got no evidence to back it up. Ironically, he's the one who sounds like a crackpot. Yes. Bankman gives this, like, speech to the mayor about how, like, basically the world is going to end. If they are wrong... Well, well, and, well and I, and I yeah, want to rewind, rewind for just a second, because the bishop comes in, and you find out that the mayor is a very religious guy. Yep. So, in true Rule 9 fashion, which is be careful what you say and how you say it, the entire Ghostbusters crew starts saying, like, brimstone... 40 days, 40 nights, destruction of the world, and just start using, using all of these biblical references so that the mayor has some concept of what's going on. The apocalypse is here. Cats and dogs are getting along. Yeah, the, the horsemen have arrived. And what I also like is that the bishop is like, we wash our hands of this. We do not take a position on any of this. Yep. Uh, but I think the Ghostbusters, they communication was their friend. They catered they to their the audience. And they do a really good job. And basically, Venkman proposes... Pascal's Wager, which for anyone out there who's any kind of religious skeptic, you are very familiar with Pascal's Wager, where it's, hey, if I'm wrong and there is no God, then it doesn't matter. But if I'm right and there is a God and you don't listen to my rules, you're in big trouble after you die. Except he's like, hey, if we're wrong, we go to jail and it's not a big deal. And if I'm right, you save the lives of millions of voters, Yep, which is a really beautiful way to frame it up. But I was not expecting to find Pascal's wager in this movie either. So that was another really, really fun thing for me. Yep. And the mayor's like, yes, I'm going to save millions of registered voters. This is great. So he gets them a bunch of cops and National Guard to escort them all the way to the apartment building. There's a brief earthquake and they, it appears they've all died in the earthquake, but they're fine. 
and they're going to go into the building as these schlubby heroes to yeah. save the day. Oh, they're some kind of suicide squad. <laughs> <laughs> so after them hiking up the stairs, very slowly, exercise, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Moranis would have been up there lickety-split yep. here. So they're, they're going to get up to the top. They're going to get to the, the, the Dana's room. There's a secret staircase leading up to the roof. They're going to get up to the roof. They witness Dana and Louis, Zool, and Vins at this point transforming their true demodog form. So now they just... They, great. My girlfriend turned into a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and this massive door opens and we see the building into the other world. And here is Gozer, the destroyer themselves in the form of a... A human woman, but not quite. Like, there's something off, but th- that is the form Gozer has taken. Yes, the, the form Gozer has chosen to take. For now. For now. Uh, and we haven't, we have not reassessed this point in a while, but I think it's fair at this point to say, like, the Ghostbusters, this is world-ending stuff. Yep. And by the way, there's a new rule, you don't want to end up going to prison. Yes. So their ticket out of prison is to save the world, like some Suicide Squad. So in order to get out of this horror movie sort of scot-free... They need to save the world. Yep. They need to defeat the horror movie, which means escaping is not an option yep. and avoiding is not an option. And so, you know, normally you would say, all right, if you have to go into a building to fight a god demon from another world, don't do it. Yeah, probably don't. Probably don't. But if they don't, the world ends. They die either way. Yes. So, okay, cool. We, we have to brush that aside. Okay, you guys are the guys to go do this. If you can't do it, probably no one can. Exactly. Go. So, yeah, good. And this is where we're just like, you know, this is your moral responsibility at this point. Yeah, you could slough it off and maybe you live for a little while. But, eh, you know, again, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Ronan, you know, maybe they can just go to the edge of the galaxy and live a full life before Ronan finds them. Or they could try to stop him here and now. Yeah. Just try and stop them. Gozer will get you if you don't stop them. Yes. First try. Here goes Ray. Ray is going to be like, uh, sir, I order you, sir or ma'am, I order you to leave the planet now. Thank you. Bye. It's kind of what uh, uh, Tony Stark and Doctor Strange do in Avengers Infinity War. Uh, Earth is closed today. You're trespassing. <laughs> kind, of, kind of the exact same energy. Uh, Ray orders Gozer to leave. You know, try try with your words. Yeah, step one. You yeah. know, that's the way you try, do it Try and connect with the villain a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. Know, just like, hey, we're two reasonable entities here. No, no, we're not. <laughs> no, no, we're not. But it was worth a shot. So that's not going to work. So Gozer asks, are you a god? And Ray goes, no. Then die. And goes her f- electrocute Sith Lord blast yeah, off Yeah, yeah, force lightning. Almost off the roof. Like, Gozer could have ended it right there. I think Gozer's playing with their food. Yes. Rule six, double tap. Yes. You for, rule for Gozer. <laughs> you were this close, man. This close. And then Winston has possibly my favorite line in the movie. Ray, if someone asks if you're a god, you say, yes. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Everything is there. I love it. Now, this is more of a rule that we talk about on our Survivor podcast, uh, the Castaway Consultants, for those of you who are interested in the TV show Survivor. If someone asks if you want to be in Alliance, you say yes. It's the Ghostbusters rule. Um, this is the horror movie equivalent. If someone asks if you are a god, you say yes. Isn't there a Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man, where yes. You, just, you just say yes? Just say yes. Just say yes. You can back yourself out of that one later. Uh, but just, just say yes. <laughs> so that's not a rule. But uh, I, I guess, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it falls under rule number nine. Be careful you say how you say it. And then rule 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. If you say you're not a god, well, guess what? You just get smited. Yeah. You, you Congratulations. You are a lower power level than Gozer. Yeah. And that's a problem. So just say yes. And uh, back out of it later if you need to. But yes. for now, just say yes. So the Ghostbusters, they're gonna they're locked and loaded. They, they have their, their proton packs, rule five. They're going to try blasting Gozer. And, and goes is eventually going to vanish. And I'm like, oh, cool, we did it. No, no. There's going to be a big earthquake, and the building's going to like uh, drop some rubble. And we're going to cut to everybody on the ground. And there's just like a ton of people on the ground. You know, we have the cops in the National Guard, but we have a ton of spectators who are like fanboys, the Ghostbusters. Okay, the building is falling apart now. This is getting dangerous. Rule 40, keep your distance. Everyone go away. Everyone should be gone. If you are not one of the Ghostbusters, you should honestly be on your way out of town. Yep. Uh, I would pack up my family in uh, a, a, a country minute and we'd be gone flee you know roll up and get out the movie independence day there were people there to greet the aliens how did it turn out for them you're not here to greet the the, the demigod overlord ghost specter thing you don't do that and you're not here to watch them save it either all that can happen to you is death yep you are a red shirt you're not the main character so stop thinking you're the main character which is another rule yep get out yeah, absolutely. leave get out 
But Gozer is going to vanish and speak to them in their minds and say, choose the form of the destroyer. Basically, you're picking what is going to destroy you all. And Vanquin's like, all right, cool. Everybody empty your minds. Don't think about anything. And poor Ray. It just pops in there. It's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and it, which was set up early in the movie. We see Dana bought some marshmallows, and there's a little sailor marshmallow guy, and everyone knows what I'm talking about. I don't know why I need to explain this. No, we don't need to describe but this. But for the one person out there who hasn't seen Ghostbusters or know what we're talking about, just this giant skyscraper-sized marshmallow man starts walking through New York City. It's like the Pillsbury Doughboy's cousin, Stay Puffed Marshmallow yeah. Man. It's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. It would never hurt me. And so they just start blasting when it gets close enough. They started blasting. So I just started blasting them. And so the state of Arsenal is climbing up the building, and they're they're screwed. The, the proton packs aren't enough to stop this thing. Until Spengler, Egon's got an idea. One thing that could save them, cross the streams. There's a slight chance they won't all die, is basically what he says. There's definitely a slight chance we won't we we, we would survive. Definitely a slight chance. You know, better than zero. Better than zero. And so, this is rule 17. Yes, and rule number 22, take the shot. You know? Yes. If it is all hopeless and your one shot has like a 0.1% success rate, you take that over the 0% success rate. And if it's, and if the world is at stake, we need to bring ethics into it for a second. Your four lives, either you all die and everybody dies or you die and everyone else gets a chance to live. This is and very- even then, it's also like everyone could die if you cross the streams too. Well, correct. Correct. So, but like you got to like you, they're doing what I like. They're taking action. They're not letting the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man come to them. They're like, no, we're going to do a thing now. So I I like this move. And, you know, would you rather be the person to end the world trying to save it or be the guy who did nothing and let the world end? Exactly. Which is where I disagree with you at the end of Cabin in the Woods. And we've already had this discussion, so I will leave it alone. Yeah, don't don't, don't start with me on Cabin in the Woods. (laughs) Uh, I, I would, with Cabin in the Woods, I would 100% the world end out of spite. Speaking of Sigourney Weaver, by Speaking the way. Speaking of Sigourney Weaver. If, if I'm Marty in Cabin in the Woods, I let the world end out of spite. <laughs> At that point. Your morals change depending on the movie, Ryan. Yes. I'm, it's almost like the, if what you went through during the movie changes things. It's almost like your character arc. You have a character arc. So because Marty never had any power, never had any say, you're like, no, no, I yep. don't I don't get to be your sacrifice. I don't get to be your lamb. Marty and, and uh, Egon went through two very different things. Sure. <laughs> That's the difference. Uh, but they're going to cross the streams, which destroys the gate, reverses the polarity or some bullshit. Stonehenge magic. Stonehenge science bullshit. Stonehenge sti- science bullshit and destroys the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And the world is saved. We did it. Dana and Lewis are freed from their dog bodies, shells. dog shells. Yeah, they're they're inside the dogs. They're fine. Yeah, they're totally fine. They go downstairs. They're they're treated as heroes. Dana and Venkman kiss, and the movie ends. That's the end of Ghostbusters. I ain't scared of no ghosts. I'm afraid no ghosts. <laughs> Busting makes me feel good. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so I don't have any new rules for Ghostbusters. Just, yeah, that's, yep. There, there's not enough there. Like, you could really drill down and find some interesting way yep. to, to create a sub-rule here, but there's not enough. Yeah, it's more just, like, ethics and stuff and, like and, that. And exactly zero people die. Yeah, no one dies in this movie. They also had a horror movie. Clearly, they know there's no rule violations here. So, no new rules. Let's get into the awards. Yeah. First, we have the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, which goes to the character who did the best job at following the rules. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Of course, based off Randy Meeks from Scream, Derek, who are you thinking here? Oh, man. Ryan, I... <sighs> it's a tough one. I will uh, propose two people. Okay. One of them, main cast member, and the other one is more of a Neighbors and Halloween pick. Okay. okay. First one, I'm going to say Egon, because I think of the Ghostbusters, he is the one who did the right thing the most, and it was typically the correct thing in the context of the situation. And of course, he is the one who concocted the hero plan to cross the streams and save everything. You know, not just humanity, like the universe. Cool. And I don't think that he has any major rule breaks other than split up gang in their pilot adventure. He, He panicked a little bit and nearly fried a maid, but you know, that's just... You know, that's not him dying. They didn't do a good enough job testing their equipment going in. Correct. 
which you know who doesn't hit a speed bump or two and that's and all the ghostbusters are guilty yep. of that except uh, except winston i'll agree that egon is the best ghostbuster i kind of like the mayor's handling of this horror movie he calls in the experts and he successfully plays pascal's wager to let the people who are qualified save the world and he ignored the kind of ranking government official in order to do that sure. in peck so that's that's kind of like an out of left field pick but I feel strongly about no one. I'm curious if you have anybody different. I don't want to give it to any of the Ghostbusters just because their ramshackle operation offends me a little bit. <laughs> so I, I don't want to award any of them for it, as great as they are. We don't reward you for bad business behavior. Yep. They, they have a B- minus at the Better Business Bureau. <laughs> The person I was thinking of, because first I was thinking of Lewis until he froze up at the end. I think Dana does pretty much perfectly. Um, when she finds the bullshit in her fridge and she's like, nope, I'm going to go with the experts. Um, and then she takes a day to think about it. Like yep. she doesn't, she doesn't scream and run immediately for the phone. She's just like, no, I, I need to take some time. Calm down. Was what I saw real. And the, I, I do like the mayor pick. The only difference is we don't really see him go into a horror movie situation. I mean, like technically it is happening around the whole city. So you could say the mayor. Um, it feels like Catholic church pick from yep. uh, exorcist part four or whatever. I just think, you know, and Dana didn't have a ton of choices in the movie and a ton of options to do well. She was kind of screwed. But the the brief moments she did have to have some control over her destiny in the movie, basically, she I think she had a perfect score. So I, I kind of want to give it to Dana. I'm, I'm not going to fight you on it. With an honorable mention to the mayor. I, I, I accept this. Cool. Uh, so Dana Sigourney Weaver wins the Randy McSmerit badge. I, I'm guessing once we get to the Alien series, we might get a couple more for her as well. Yes. That wouldn't shock me at all. Next, we have Night of the Living Pleb, which goes to the character who did the worst job at following the rules. This is, of course, based off Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Uh, Derek. I'm, anxi I'm, actually, I'm anxious to hear yours first. I think I land on Walter Peck overall. I think Venkman is the worst Ghostbuster, but that said, the Ghostbusters do a fairly decent job in the endgame. So I, I want to go on Peck. And I guess one thing I did forget to mention is Peck was one of the people at the base of the building. Um, so when the building was falling apart, he stuck around. And then when the, the, the state of marshmallow was destroyed, he a bunch of marshmallow landed on him. He was lucky that wasn't like on fire marshmallow or he'd be dead. That would have been very, very painful. I made a, I made a remark as such yep. right before he got sl marshmallow slimed. 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 Yeah. Um, ironically. So, you know... You could say he wasn't really in the horror movie. Well, he was at the very end, and he shouldn't have been there at all. And then he didn't do his job properly. He was kind of a dick. Venkman was too, but he I feel like he started it a little bit. And then, you know, just going in and shutting off the power willy-nilly is, is the worst movie in the movie, I think. So I'm, I'm leaning towards Walter Peck. So if we give it to Peck, which I'm not against, he is the one that I gravitate toward, mostly because he doesn't put his ego aside when he has mm -hmm. the power. Because, like... Ultimately, yeah, Venkman, you know, sort of seized his power as a private citizen saying, you cannot trample on my rights until you have a court order saying that you can. You know, if a cop pulls you over, you don't have to tell them your name if you don't think you've committed a crime. But like a little bit of courtesy goes a long way. Yeah, you can be nice about it. Now, that being said, that does not excuse a cop to throw you out of your car, pin you on the ground cuff you, book you, throw you in the iron pen, right? Yep. That, that's So who's more in the wrong in that situation? The the guy who didn't want to give the name in the car for, you know, going three miles an hour over the speed limit or the cop who totally abused their power and threw you in the yep. pen? The cop is more morally in the wrong. Peck, who comes back with the power, the angry cop, he's the one more in the wrong. Yes. And, you know, ghosts are not ghosts. Uh, once you get to the end where there's earthquakes happening and they're trying to save the world, and there's clearly something weird going on. He's sort of spitting in the face of the evidence in that, that he's seen. Like, you know, all the way up to him not having the box, you know, not, not believing in ghosts. I'm, I'm okay with it, but I'm angry at what he did for his abuse of power. Everything after that, I think he was the worst, so he deserves it. All right. Walter Peck is the Night of the Living Pleb, but he is a living pleb. He is a living pleb. I don't think he shows up in the sequels. Lucky, lucky for him, it wasn't that kind of movie. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of movie. All right, so that's Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, what do you want? What do you want? So, yeah, now, next up will be Ghostbusters 2 on on, uh, on that, which is not a good movie. Super excited. In fact, I would say we've peaked quite early because I don't like Ghostbusters 2. I don't like the remake. Afterlife is okay. 
it's different, at least for the first half movie. So I'm not exactly looking forward to the rest of the series. Was it? Uh, was the second one written by Dan Aykroyd and, and Ramis so. again? Let me, let me check. Ghostbusters. Directed by the same guy. Yep. Same team. I just feel like they didn't want to do it, and they just did it. I don't know. I don't know for sure, though. Sure. Was yeah. this like John okay. Carpenter and Halloween So basically, too? I guess it's generally considered to be a copy of the original, but it's less cynical. The humor is more family-friendly. All right. Well. It's just more like... It, it went away from what made go the first one great. So, yeah, I, I don't remember much of the second one. I just remember I didn't like it. Sure. And I only watched it like four years ago, so it's not very memorable. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, so, Wheel of Spooks. Here's what's on the wheel today. Scream 2022. It 2017. Prom Night 2008. Tremors 3 Back to Perfection. Cult of Chucky. Psycho. And Scream Season 1 Episode 8. Ghosts with now Ghostbusters 2 taking the chef's choice spot Derek spin the wheel all right and we got prom night 2008 the fifth and final movie in the prom night series the whole reason Josh picked that series to begin with so we'll be finishing up prom night next time prom night everything is all right I don't like prom night 2008 (laughs) at all so yay I'm so glad I'm not on any of these movies hey the first four prom nights were fun I I think Josh would say everything was all right I think that is exactly how he's described it on every podcast. Because I am an avid listener, Ryan. Uh, well, I mean, that's what the song says. Prom night, everything is all right. And that's what the series is. Everything is all right. And they're all very different. All very different. Uh, I, It's been, boy, 15 years since I've seen this movie. I probably said the year after it came out. Uh, I don't remember liking it then. I probably don't like it now. I was going to say, that'd be 12 years, 13 uh, yeah, years. I, it's been a long time, basically, is what I'm saying. So, Prom Night 2008 will be up next. Everybody get hyped. For that movie. Great cast, though. Not that they do a good job, but there's, like, a lot of big names. Like, Idris Elba's in it. Brady Snow's in it. Uh, James Ransone is in it. I can't remember who else. But, yeah. There's some, like, names in it who weren't names at the time, really. So, that'll be next. Prom Night 2008. Derek, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. This was a genuinely fun one to talk about. (laughs) And I was not expecting us to really do some film analysis in the middle of the movie with the context of the rules. Yes. That was fun. That was fun. I always like when we finally stumble onto something like that. Um, So, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. Do you want to plug anything? Uh, You can follow me on Letterboxd, E-R-E-K-K. That is Eric. Uh, other than that, you know, I'm on Castaway Consultant, so if you love the Survivor podcast, Ryan and I are over there with Josh, another regular on this show. That's all I got. You can follow us on Twitter at HowToHorror. That's how the number two horror. We're also on Letterboxd. Um, so go ahead and check that out. I'll be adding Ghostbusters to uh, lists, uh, the all-time ranking list of every movie we've ever covered on the podcast very shortly. And the list of movies that Derek has covered. And the list of movies that Derek has covered on the podcast. Uh, they'll be near the top. <laughs> all right, man. Anything else? Nope. All right, this has been the How to Spot a Horror Movie Podcast. Stay safe out there.